I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. The 1870s, 80s, and 90s were a volatile time for French winemakers. The Franco-Prussian War had left Paris in a shambles after a long siege, a siege so serious that restaurants started serving rats and other unusual animals in order to combat starvation. During this time of political and social chaos, phylloxera raged through the vineyards, and there was no clear plan of action for combating it. In the early 1870s, some blamed steamships for bringing vines from America across the Atlantic in record times, which didn't give phylloxera enough time to perish during the usually long journey. And many people still denied there was a problem at all, and they chalked up the dying vines to a brief malady caused by changing weather and geology. But soon the problem could not be ignored or brushed away as a strange one-time phenomenon. Desperate farmers drove wagons full of dead vines to the markets to sell as firewood. Others pulled out all their vines and burned their land in an attempt to exterminate phylloxera. And others spent much time and money injecting sulfur directly into their soils to kill the bug. After seeing some vines survive on waterlogged riverbanks, some wine growers flooded their vineyards, hoping to drown phylloxera, and they met with some success. Soon, American entomologists started making connections between Darwin's theory of evolution and why phylloxera affected European vines, but not U.S. vines. The evolution of the American grapevines over long periods of time with phylloxera made them resistant. But in Europe, Darwin's theory of evolution was still being debated and contested, and a clear link between pest-resistant species and evolution wasn't made as strongly by many farmers in France. In the early days of the infestation, non-Darwinists made logical assumptions that led them to look for causes of the problem in the wrong areas. Because they didn't accept evolution, non-Darwinists pointed to the differences with phylloxera in American and European vines as differences in soil or climate. And meanwhile, things got worse. 
local economies were disrupted. Vineyard workers and farmers soon had to either seek work in cities or start planting other crops besides grapes. Dis-ease spread through winemaking towns, as many people were faced with the loss or diminishment of their livelihood. Some scrambled to order American vines from the U.S. to plant, but wines from these were received poorly by wine critics. Soon, though, grafting became a viable option. Nurseries began supplying vineyards with grafted stock. During a long period of replanting after the devastation, several wine regions were reshaped. Many regions settled on a few varieties to focus on, in part because of what was available in terms of grafted stock, and in part because by limiting grafting experiments to a few varieties, there would be less variables and the results of the grafting could be better observed. Well, we all know how those grafting experiments turned out. Looking back, we see how grafting saved the wine industry. And we can thank the early experimenters for the work they did. Stay tuned to hear more from one of the earliest families to plant grafted vines in Burgundy, and one of the few to make great wines in the early days of phylloxera. It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at OffsetPartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T partners with an s.com offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand Jean-Louis Trappé of Trappé, Pair and Fee in Gevray. Hello, sir. How are you? Fine. Thank you very much. I apologize because uh, it's quite difficult for me to speak English, but uh, I guess after a few drops of uh, your excellent water, it will be uh, much more easier for me. Well, we also have uh, Brandy and Mar available. <laughs> okay. that's, that's nice. I really like that. Yeah. Your family has a long history in Gevray and in particular with certain grand crews that are in that area, Chambertin, Latricière Chambertin and Chapelle Chambertin. Exactly. We are very lucky for that because uh, perhaps we can't really remember when we start. Uh, but no, I, I, I joke. I think that uh, uh, Le Chambertin is excellent for brain cells. So uh, uh, my family come from uh, a tout petit village, Chambol musigny And uh, we just had a very long trip just before the uh, 1870 uh, World War. And uh, my great-great-father married a uh, jeune fille de Gevray-Chambertin. 
and uh, then gradually we uh, could afford and buy some uh, one of the best Grand Cru uh, of the Côte de Nuit. So I'm very proud about that. Yeah. Mm. And your great grandfather was Arthur. Uh, no, my great grandfather was the first Louis. Oh, he was the first Louis. Exactly. And his son was Arthur. And he is, uh, his grandson was Louis Trappet. Uh, he was the father of my father, Jean Trappet. And then we have Jean Louis. And uh, then we have also, I have also two, uh, two sons, Pierre and Louis. Because uh, uh, for a long time it was Louis Trappet. Exactly. On the label, this is what you uh, usually saw. But uh, in fact, the very first Louis Trappet came from Chambol. And he had the idea, I think, he had, I believe hardly in the, in the fact that it's a sort of innovation. He met just after this war, uh, 1870 uh, uh, war against the Prussians, you know. Uh, he just uh, had the idea to receive some people from uh, Dijon, who have been soldiers at the Dijon Gardison. And at this time, it was just before the Philoxera, he met a soldier from the south of France. And this man told my great-great-father that Philoxera was awful. So he decided, and he said to my uh, great-grandfather, Louis Trappet, oh, you know, uh, it's quite... Uh, because my great-grandfather, Louis Trappet, was very uh, open-minded and uh, very... Uh, he, he liked to, to, to welcome people and to have chat, discussion with people. So he had uh, some discussion and he said to uh, uh, my grand-grandfather, oh, uh, Louis, there is different uh, solution against the phylloxera. I don't know if you heard about the phylloxera, but it was, it was a real plague, you know. And uh, he said there is a first uh, method, which, which is um, you can use sulfur. Uh, and uh, he said it's, it's quite difficult to use that because you must do that every year. You must... And it needs a lot of money and also a lot of, of work to do that. And the other solution could be, he told that to my grandfather, could be perhaps to flow the vineyard. But you can't do that because you have very nice slopes, so it's absolutely impossible. And there is a third solution, which is quite a good solution, so at this time, it's to graft, to graft the vineyard. And in fact, at the this uh, time, it was not a load on Côte d'Or, it was only a load on Saône-et-Loire. And what he done, he took his, uh, it was not a car, it was like a chariot, you know, and uh, he took the American plant from Chagny, and then during the whole night, he used to graft the, the vine, and then he replanted it. And gradually, it was very impressive because uh, we saw the very first damage of uh, this phylloxera uh, sur les Clos Saint-Jacques, on the Clos Saint-Jacques uh, area, in uh, 1982. So, uh, at this time, it was uh, absolutely awful because people uh, don't really realize what, what, uh, what the phylloxera can, can be. And uh, he started to replant some very nice plots of Premier Cru, for example, the Corbeaux and some other uh, very close to the Grand Cru. And uh, at this time, you, I, I, I must say that um, it was not allowed because it, people saw that this graft was quite a, like a, a filter, you know, 
on uh, en Bourgogne, what we am, what we reach, is to get the real typicity of your of our soil through the wine. So at this time, I think it was quite normal and uh, quite fair to think that because people uh, don't really know the effect of the grafting on the grapes and after on the wine. And uh, it just to the wine of these graft vines and uh, some uh, wine merchants uh, really appreciate. He presented on, I don't know if you uh, have been at this time, but there is a, a famous fair in Bourgogne the third uh, Sunday of uh, November, uh, La Vente des Espices de Beaune, and there is a special uh, exhibit, which is called uh, L'Exhibition des, uh, des, des, des Vins de Bourgogne, and he presents his, his wine, and people say, oh, that's very good wine, and also it's, a, it's one which represents the, the terroir, and uh, gradually he could afford, he could buy some very nice Premier Cru, and then in 1904, he could afford the Latricière Chambertin, and he was very, very proud of that. So basically, Louis went out under cover of darkness and grafted vines because it wasn't allowed at the time. Uh-huh. This is what we can perhaps call the innovation, you know. But it's, it's very curious because at this time, he had a very good friend who have been a uh, quite large owner of, uh, for example, uh, Chapelle Chambertin. His name was Truchet, and he, he was very, very clever man. He was very in, innovative. Uh, he was, for example, the inventor of um, a sort of machine for in, injecting the, the sulfur. And uh, after 10 years, for example, he couldn't uh, really do anything against this phylloxera. And he said to my grand-grandfather, now I must... Uh, sell this Grand Cru Chapelle Chambertin. This is uh, the first step for us. Oh, and so that began the purchases along with the literature of the holdings today, which are significant in Chambertin over over mm-hmm. a hectare. Exactly. I think, it, yeah, one, once again, this phylloxera, it was very, very, uh, can we say, troubled time, you know, because at this time, as you know, uh, if we sum up the history of La Bourgogne, it's a, a really a monastic land. And I, I think that it's very important that time because during this time, the monks had time to do things very slowly and they uh, have the real conscience of their own soil. And they uh, could test, they, they, they used to test the soil to see the difference between uh, Latricière and Chambertin, for example. And I think it was very, very important because it took time. Uh, wine need peace and need also time. And uh, what we do now, it's, uh, we, we are very inspired by, by that, that idea, I think. And uh, Louis Trappé, Perhaps was the very first one who had this uh, idea to uh, to graft the vine, and uh, I think Latricière was a fantastic place because first uh, of January 1904 he bought this land and he was very very proud and my grand grandmother was also very very proud to to buy this uh, this land, and then after this monastic time in uh, the uh, late 18th century, 
uh, as you know, uh, when the French Revolution and a large part of uh, this uh, land who have been owned by the monk have been sold to a larger owner. For example, banker Jules Ouvrard, uh, who have been uh, one of the Napoleon uh, provider of weapons, and also a banker, bought at this time uh, Le Clouvoujou, and uh, he bought also uh, a large part of uh, Le Chambertin. And after this time, uh, when the time of the smaller uh, vigneron, just after the, the phylloxera, and uh, the third time we had, it was during the 1929 crisis. And uh, a lot of uh, domain have been uh, sold to other people at this time. And this is uh, just after the First World War. It was uh, yes, very troubled time. And I think that my family could afford some larger plot at, at this time. And they bought their very first plot of Chambertin just after the First World War in 1990. When did the domain start to domain bottle in quantity? That's another history. Because uh, the, the son of, of Louis Trappé was Arthur Trappé. And uh, he was very, very uh, clever man. Because at this, in France, it's, it's still existing, you know, a, a sort of, a, can we say, a concourse for the very good pupil. And uh, he won, uh, he went the very first uh, pupil of uh, all uh, La Bourgogne, and he could get uh, something we call that uh, a bourse, you know, they, they give you sure. uh, uh, They money. set aside money yeah. for yeah. like a grant. E exactly. And at this time, he decided to, uh, it was a little, bit scared about what he could do at this time because uh, he had the choice between uh, engineer school or to stay vigneron. And he decided to stay vigneron because he was uh, very proud to be a peasant. And uh, in fact, his energy uh, was used to, uh, to have bigger land to buy some uh, very nice plots. And uh, I think this Pierre-Arthur Trappé was the very first one who had the opportunity to buy uh, some larger uh, land, and uh, he was very proud of that. Yeah. And just after my grandfather, uh, Louis Trappé, was a very gentle and very well-mannered man, uh, but he never had the opportunity to buy uh, land. And uh, um, he was very, very uh, kind with other people, you know. And uh, he was also the past president of the uh, Syndicat Jeuré Chambertin. And um, he just decided to, uh, to keep what his father done. And after that, my father, Jean Trappé, was the very first one who decided to, uh, to bottle uh, his wine. And our first customer was Alexis Lichine. Oh. Exactly. And uh, my, uh, if I remember well, my father, uh, he said, uh, oh, uh, Alexis was fantastic because you, you just after my grandfather, Louis Trappé, met Alexis Lichine uh, after the Second World War uh, because Alexis uh, was an officer and he came at home and he really appreciated his wine. And he said, oh, that will be a good idea, uh, perhaps, to bottle uh, the wine and to, uh, to sell it to the American market. 
and uh, it was it's something in in 1959 i think the very first vintage we had a lot of domain bottling into the 60s then exactly exactly it was a time that people had the real conscience that uh, it's, it's a good idea to do that you're right and then in 1990 there was a split uh-huh. with the family exactly uh, sometimes it's very important to uh, to do that because uh, when you do things, I took the responsibility with my wife Andre uh, in 1990, and uh, I think it's it's very important because it's very personal, you know, when you do uh, when you manage a vineyard and when you do, do the vinification, uh, it's like uh, writing. You have your own writing, and it's very important to do that. Uh, in order to respect the land uh, and the appellation that uh, your father and, uh, your, and your family gave to you. you Something know. you were responsible for with e- your name ex- on it. E- exactly. And I believe also that uh, we are responsible of that and we are a sort of uh, link, you know. As we, as I often say, you know, people, they go, they go through and uh, the ground, the land, stay i i I think that um even if you uh don't own the land you have the responsibility of this land and uh, for me it's it's very important to uh to have the respect of the of the soil of the vine this is the main point today you have significant holding in chambertin Mm-hmm. A holding in La Touchière, uh-huh. a holding in Chapelle Chambertin, exactly. And then the premier crews, Cloprier and Petite Chapelle. And then also a smaller holding of Gervais premier crews that you blend together, including Corbeau. Exactly, you're right. Yeah. And then you make Gervais Village, uh-huh. and then Marcenet Rouge and Blanc, uh-huh. exactly. from a blend of vineyards. Uh-huh. So that's a pretty interesting spread. Uh-huh. So how would you compare the different Grand Crus of Gevray? What What is the difference between Latriciere, Chapelle, and Chambertin from your experience? That's a very good question because they are very, very different, very distinctive, you know. For me, even on the Chambertin, this is quite curious, but even on the Chambertin, the um, geology is very different. On the Chambertin, I, can start with the Chambertin. I, uh, when I took the responsibility uh, of the domain, I noticed that uh, it was incredibly uh, different kind of soil because my father uh, used to plow, but he also had the idea to uh, to use some herbicide. To be honest, at this time, and uh, when I took my tractor the first time to plow the Chambertin. I really feel and notice the difference of the soil. From the bottom to the top, we have uh, different stratus. Can we say stratus? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, at the bottom, we have quite deep clay soil. It's incredible because when uh, in uh, 1992, I decide to replant a very small parcel of Chambertin, I uh, tell uh, my friend um, to to dig the land, to to dig it as uh, as deep as possible, and it was incredible because he just dig something like more than three meters, uh, and he couldn't find 
any uh, stone. No bedrock. No, it was very impressive. This is the, uh, the bottom of the Chambertin. Then when we climb a little bit up, we find a very well-drained soil, which is limestone. It's fantastic because uh, at this place, the vine is very well balanced. Every time, even if it's cold, it's, if it's warm, if it, even if it's wet, or uh, it's always the very good condition for the for the vine. And on the top, uh, there is a place that the ancient called les larets froids, means a very cool and fresh slope. And this uh, larret froid is in fact the white marble, and that. White marble gives to the grapes and to the wine after that is a very nice and very well structured backbone uh, frame. So I really like that that part of the Chambertin. So it's a marl, it's a blend of limestone and clay. Exactly, exactly. That's it. This is for the Chambertin. And, uh, and you have three parcels of Chambertin. Exactly. So exactly. does that mean that you have it in different parts of those strata? Exactly. Exact. Unusually, when the uh, the average is uh, quite good, uh, I'm very lucky because I uh, I separate it in uh, two different vats. On one vat, I put gently my grapes of the older vines. On the or the other vat, I put my grapes of the younger vines. And I see quite a big difference at the beginning, but after. Uh, I don't know, uh, 18 to uh, 20 amounts of elevage, we can't really feel the difference. It's more on the soil. Exactly, exactly. So do you think if someone had a a single parcel in Chambertin, as opposed to the three that you have in the different areas, that their expression of Chambertin might be markedly different than yours because it would be an expression of one of those as opposed to a blend? You know, I I, I believe that uh, it's very important. Everybody here is different, and I think that uh, everybody can uh, give to the other something else. And even for the Chambertin, this is a fact. Uh, I'm very lucky and very. Uh, that's a great joy for me to have to have these three parcels because uh, some grapes are uh, smaller, the clusters are very small, some are, are bigger. We have so, in some parts some uh, thicker skins on the Pinot Noir and. Uh, uh, every grape, we, we must respect that. This is the, the real difference is there. And when you do that with the conscience of the respect, I think that after uh, 20 months of elevage, you can really feel the, the, the difference. But after 10 or uh, 20 years, uh, there is a sort of common idea of the Chambertin. Even if my friend, the other vigneron, uh, do something different. There is some difference at the beginning, but after you can really feel what is the Chambertin. But that, in my point of view, this is very important to uh, to be passionate. Uh, wine, I said that to you, uh, need a long time to express its uh, typicity for me. And you must lay down the bottle uh, in the in the in the cold and the quiet uh, cellar, forget it perhaps for uh, ten or twenty years, and then you you can really uh, rediscover it. But it needs time. For me, uh, 
wine it's uh, the expression of the soil the expression of the weather but also it's a sort of human constriction if we can say that and this human constriction is less and less important when you have time to uh, to feel and to yes to to, to feel your wine and you've mentioned to me in the past that Chambertin sometimes takes about 10 years in bottle to really show. I think so. I, I, yeah, it's, it's a minimum for me. It's a minimum if you want to uh, really have the, the M to, uh, of the, the Chambertin. Mm. And you also once told me that Chambertin itself is kind of a blend of the fruit of Chapelle Chambertin and the earth of La Truchière. Is that how you would sum it up? I, I think so. Chapelle, for example, it's very uh, special in particular because this is uh, on Chapelle. Uh, we have so so few soil. It's incredible because we have stone, we have rock, we have. Uh, and I usually say that to to my wife Andre when uh, the very first time I uh, took my tractor, my uh, father don't uh, warn me about this uh, particular soil on La Chapelle. How rocky it was? Exactly. And it was very impressive because I took my tractor and I, I had at this time the idea that uh, I uh, must plow very deeply my soil in order to get the oxygen and aeration of the soil. And after that I saw it was not a very good idea because at this time, in 1990, um, when I took my tractor, I saw the soil moving perhaps one meter forward my tractor. And I said, what happened with that? And in fact, it was due to the fact that, uh, yes, it was very rocky. It's like uh, we call that a lava. This is a, like a table rock, you know. And uh, it was incredible. And I, after that, I say, oh, I must respect myself. I don't want to do that. So gradually I've done things differently. And now we use very small uh, cover crop and very jungle things to, uh, to plow the vineyard. So the rock was so long that you would touch it on one side and it would move exactly. That's quite it. a bit further out on the other side. Exactly. That's it. You're right. Yeah. And for La Chapelle, due to the fact that there is a lot of uh, rocks, this is a place where I can find my the very first early growing season, the very first buds. Then this is a place where I see the first flower, the blooming is there at the first time. And this is a place where usually I, I, I begin the, the harvest. So for me, La Chapelle, it's always a very sunny place. It's a place where uh, the, the ripeness is perfect, sometimes uh, over perfect, if, if I should, if I could, uh, if I can say that. Um, and but this is a place where the the, the, the grapes are very very uh, beautiful, very uh, very small, very. I really like the, the grapes of La Chapelle. But when you go to La Trichière, it must be colder because you're near a comb, if I remember correctly. Exactly, you know that. Um, we are very close to a very small comb, which is. Uh, a comb en Bourgogne, this is perhaps the, the, the more preeminent type of landscape, can we say that? Sure, it's, a, it's something that you see yeah. noticeably in Burgundy. Exactly. And at Jovray-Fambertin, for example, we have three uh, main combes. The very first one is La Combe de la Vaux. 
And uh, besides this Comble Lavo, you can find, uh, you know, that Le Clos Saint-Jacques, uh, which is fantastic uh, place. And uh, La Famille Rousseau, for example, produce uh, some, some wine that I qualified uh, as, as perfect, as a perfect place, I think. And uh, uh, on the south part of Jean Vachon Martin, you will find uh, La Combe Grisard. And this is uh, the place where we find les latricières. Oh, I see. And latricières, for me, is very uh, particular and very uh, distinctive because at this place, you have the both effect of the freshness of the... There is a sort of wind which goes through the vines and through the grapes. I, I think that, as you know, if you want to have... Uh, the purest uh, Pinot, no, Pinot Noir as possible, you need this very fresh hair uh, in order to slow down the ripeness and to slow down the, the growing of the vine in order also to uh, uh, respect the, uh, the complexity of the, uh, of the ar aroma of, uh, of, of the Pinot Noir. And on the Latricière, you, you have this aspect. But you, you have also to counterbalance this aspect. Something which is very interesting is that on the Latricière, you have a very well-drained and gravelly soil. And this gravel and rocks reflect an energy. And for me, Latricière, you are too... I really feel that it's like two, two forces against. Uh, on one part, you have the, the cool and wind and the cool hair. On the other part, you have the reflection of the, uh, of the rocks. So it's very interesting for me because uh, Latricière always develop very slowly is a complex element. And I think that for me, Latricière is one of my, uh, uh, is perhaps my favorite. The first reason is, as I said to you, This is a place where my grandfather bought his very first Grand Cru, and we are very proud of that. But in fact, there is a, a geological element which gives to the wine uh, is very uh, profound and very uh, nice complexity. And this is a, a place I really love. It's my favorite too. Thank you. I, mean, I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know your wines we, we, as well. We don't have any uh, latricière here, <laughs> water, but uh, we, we have the trans transparency and the, uh, yeah. <laughs> so what about your premier crews? What, what is the difference between Petite Chapelle and Cloprier? Oh, they are quite different. As you know, uh, Petite Chapelle is very close to La Grande Chapelle. And uh, like uh, La Grande Chapelle, La Petite Chapelle, we have very nice limestone soil. A lot of, of in that place also we have a lot of uh, small uh, small uh, rocks, and uh, this is a place perhaps like uh, La Grande Chapelle where we we can find very well balanced grapes. You have both on La Petite Chapelle the uh, very nice acidity, the nice frame of the of the wine, uh, but you have also very nice ripeness. It's always very uh, We, we always have a very nice sugar level on uh, La Petite Chapelle. And this is uh, perhaps the place is very particular, you know. And uh, 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 my friend from uh, Jorge Chambertin are very proud because uh, 
Some of them uh, have very large parcels of La Petite Chapelle, and this is a very particular place for the, for the premier cru. Cloprieur, it's much more, uh, at the beginning, it's more, uh, could we say, shy. Cloprieur needs perhaps longer time to develop uh, its complexity, I think. That's very different kind of, uh, of wine. And what about the Gevray Village? Uh, for Gevray, we have uh, also some very nice uh, parcel from the Brochon side. I really like that, that place because at that place, there is no Grand Cru. On the northern part, but on the very nice slope, this is a, yeah, this is a, uh, the continuation of some, uh, some premier cru. And at this place, we can uh, find some uh, plots like uh, Deret, Champerrier. And it's very curious because this is a place where we have the older vines. And this soil has the ability to, uh, to, to age the, the vine very well. I don't know if I can say that, but uh, we, at this place, we have very, very old vines, in fact. For example, my grandfather, uh, Louis Trappé, uh, often he says to me uh, that he had the opportunity to replant uh, Le Chambertin. It was, no, in fact, it was, it was not really allowed to replant the Chambertin. He was just allowed to cut the roots of the plant because it was a very serious uh, work and very serious uh, engagement for the future. And his father just uh, gave to him the, uh, uh, the responsibility to cut the root, but not to put the plant into the soil. And it was very, when I, I heard that, I say, why uh, uh, you've done only that? And he say, it was very serious work. So, uh, um, and he will remember quite well when he uh, had the opportunity to, uh, uh, to replant the Chambertin, but he never remember when exactly he replanted the plot of uh, Champerrier. And in fact, we have very, very old plants, very old vine at this place. It was perhaps uh, replanting just before the First World War. So, uh, we are very impressive. Uh, uh, rootstock and uh, it's it's very nice to see that yeah. when you propagate do you propagate selection missile or do you use clones this is a good question because uh, during more than 20 years my father we had quite s uh, severe problem with the, what we call uh, it's a, a virus uh, which is called cournoué and a large part of the vignoble of the vineyard have been uh, replanted at this time uh, because this virus is, can be very violent, uh, but also it can be uh, an element of quality. And uh, my father decided to replant with what we call uh, clonal uh, selection. And at this time we had uh, some nice uh, selection, but it was not so good as uh, we can find now. But uh, when, uh, uh, with André, we took the responsibility of the domain, we, I think, decided quite uh, quickly to uh, replace our, vine our vineyard with a massal selection. Because, as I told you, that, that's exactly the same idea. Uh, everybody is different, and every plant is also different, and can give something else 
can uh, can express uh, different thing of the of the soil and i think that pinot noir uh, that's a, can be the perfect translator uh, of the soil so it's very important to uh, have a very nice selection and uh, in bourgogne we have now an association which is called uh, la sauvegarde uh, du pinot noir and uh, uh, everybody who is a member of this uh, uh, association must select have the uh, uh, responsibility to, to select in his own vineyard the very best plant. And now I'm very happy. Uh, we have a friend of mine is have his nursery on Alsace. Can we say, yeah, on, on, on Alsace. Uh, his name is uh, Christophe uh, Ebinger. And with him, we select our plant and uh, we cultivate it. And after three years, we replant what we have on our own vineyard. So it's very important for me. That's, you know, the, the transmission of my grandfather uh, done. Because at this time, just after the phylloxera, the, the vigneron, they, they were um, also a nurser, can we, can we say? They also nurserymen. Nurserymen. And it was very important because they, the, the, on, only the vigneron knows uh, what, what is good for his, uh, for the, for his ground, or for his terroir. So I think it's, that's a very important part of, uh, of the skill of the, of the vigneron. Throughout the 90s, you began an engagement with biodynamic farming, and you were officially changed over in 1998 to biodynamic certified, which is early in terms of Burgundy. That's the same year that Domaine Lefleur was 100% biodynamic as well. What was that change like for you, and what put you in that direction of thinking? Oh, that's a large question. I think uh, biodynamy for us was very important at this time, and I must express uh, my uh, gratitude to my wife, André, because she comes from Alsace, and as you know, in Alsace, there is some strong place of uh, la biodynamie. There is, uh, for example, uh, the syndicate, uh, the office of the syndicate of la biodynamie is in, uh, at Colmar. So uh, I think that it was very important for us. And, um, at this time, uh, when we, we took the responsibility in 1919, we had a very good friend who had been uh, sick. He, have, uh, he had a um, uh, poison with the, uh, some, uh, uh, some chemical things used. He, he was um, an agriculturist, and as you know, uh, uh, if you are agriculturist, you uh, uh, are in your tractor. You have uh, very uh, in your in your tractor is there is this sort of a pressurized air, which is very uh, well filtered. And uh, even if he had this system, he went. Can we say he went sick? He went. He right? became ill. He, he, he became ill. Sorry. He became ill, and uh, I say it's, it's incredible, you know, uh, because when you are vigneron, you are very close to your leaves, and we have very na narrow row in Bourgogne, 
and I said to uh, to Andre and uh, to the to my employees, I can't, uh, we can't continue like that. And at this time, I uh, was very very scared of the idea to uh, continue to uh, to use these chemical things, and. Uh, we decide to go uh, on uh, directly to an organic farming, but for us, organic farming was not enough because, uh, as you know, uh, we still uh, we continue to use some uh, bouilli bordelaise. On, on with this bouilli bordelaise, it's uh, it's copper, and the copper can uh, destroy the uh, balance of your soil, the life of your soil. And if you go directly to the organic farming, you can also damage your soil, and it's not fair. So, at this time, my uh, father had a cousin, uh, and this cousin uh, was quite a famous uh, biodynamic agriculture, agriculturist. And uh, when I said to my uh, cousin, oh, I, I'd like to be uh, uh, an organic uh, farmer, uh, but I'm scared about using uh, copper, he said, come on, see uh, us, I will show you something else. And he showed me La Biodynamie. And I really discovered at this time uh, the, uh, what could be the effect of the Biodynamie. And we, we have been quite curious at the beginning because it's uh, quite it was quite unusual but after three to five years I think that we, we have been very confident and uh, very very happy with that kind of fine farming mm. so there have been in terms of vintages some very diverse vintages since that change how have you found biodynamic to help or to be more challenging based upon the vintage has it mattered in terms of the temperature or Conditions of a year. There is a lot of many many effects on the on the vines, and I must confess that at the beginning I, I've done seeing alone my preparation alone, because uh, beauty must be uh, shared with other people who work with you. And the very first time it was at Marsanet, It was in nineteen ninety six. I uh, use some preparation like uh, uh, 500, 500, and during the spring in 1996, I decided to do uh, what we call 501, which is silicium. And at this time, the effect was incredible, amazing, because uh, even my, the guys who worked with me uh, didn't recognize their, their vine. It was at Marsanet. And we had the, the disease I I, uh, I told you, you know, the, the Cornouet. And uh, after a couple of weeks, I said to my guys, I use this uh, 501, and I said to my guys, come, we uh, come with me, we will uh, tying up the vineyard. And they said to me, oh, Jean-Louis, you are uh, too young in the domain, you know that this place, uh, uh, they are so teeny and so small and so it's a disaster, you know, because we uh, we only tie up this Marsanet one time and that's enough. And I say, no, no, come, come, we will see the, the vine. And they couldn't 
uh, recognize the vine. They say, oh, what? You, you use some, uh, some chemical things, uh, uh, nutrients to do. No, I say, I explain to us, uh, it's only the effect of la biodynamie. And uh, it, it was inc incredible. And uh, people, uh, they, they want to, uh, to, know, to know more about biodynamie. And I explain to, to my guys. And uh, we really feel the, the, the effect of the biodynamie Uh, for the older men after mm, uh, five years on the wine, they, some, for the silicium, it's, it's, that can go very, uh, very fast and very quick, the, the, uh, the, the, change, the change of, uh, uh, of the aspect of the vine. But uh, on the wine, it, it takes more long time. And the main effect, perhaps, is that uh, at this time, We had quite uh, uh, low acidity, and acidity is, is very important you know, in the Pinot Noir because that gives the frame and the structure of the wine. And the first effect was there. We had a very nice, well-balanced uh, wine after that. Because 97 was a low acid year for you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then you started with biodynamic fully in 98. Exactly. Uh, the very first uh, yep, uh, preparation and uh, we've done it was 1996 and 1997. Uh, we had quite a, a large part. And when uh, I saw the effect on the 1997 vintage on the, on the, on the acidity, I say that's, that's the way. That's, uh, and what we noticed also is that, as you know, the big challenge now It to have the good balance between the tannins and the perfect ripeness uh, of the of the grape, and uh, some sometimes perhaps due to the global warming, we see uh, more frequently that uh, the the grapes can be very uh, very ripe, and uh, the biodynamic give us the ability to uh, harvest sooner. Can we say that sooner or uh, in order to preserve a very nice acidity, but also to have a very ripe tannin. So, I s yeah, I think this, this is very important for us. Yeah. In a different periods of, of time, you've experimented with low sulfur, including a, a Pinot Noir Gamay in 13. What have been your thoughts about using less sulfur? When we start the biodynamic, uh, this is another effect, you know, because... Uh, The, the young people uh, are very curious about uh, biodynamic. And uh, at this time, I had uh, a trainee, can we say that? Sure, a, a, a stagiaire. A stagiaire, exactly. And uh, this uh, stagiaire came from Switzerland. And he just asked me, oh, Jean-Louis, I know that you, uh, you began, uh, you started biodynamic. Uh, and I'd like to learn more and more on, about biodynamic. And I said uh, to Julien, was his name, Julien Dutry, and I said to him, uh, when you like to come and see us? And he said, oh, I'd like to come during the harvest. I say, it's impossible to learn uh, anything about uh, biodynamics during the harvest. But at this time, I wrote a book about Jules Chauvet. And I said to him, uh, we can do some tests about this, this way to, uh, to accompany the wine. I don't know if you heard about Jules Chauvet. This man was a uh, small legation, 
but very open mind and very curious. And uh, he had really the, the strong feeling of, uh, uh, he was a scientist also. And he decided, he said the very best uh, Beaujolais, he, went, he came from the, uh, La Chapelle de Guinchet, from the Beaujolais, and he said the very best way to accompany the Beaujolais is uh, less, less is more, is to do less as possible. Because at this time, some people, they, uh, they, they want to, uh, uh, to use uh, some yeast or they, they use some, uh, uh, some sugar or they use uh, fertilization or they also use a lot of uh, quite fair, good amount of, uh, of sulfur. And Jules Crovet uh, said, we, we don't need this uh, artifact to do a great Beaujolais. And uh, I, I said to, to Julien, I said at, at that time, we can try to, uh, to do what's, what now we call a, a nature wine with no sulfur. And we've done that on a small parcel, a very tiny parcel, uh, which is quite well located uh, at Gevray-Chambertin. This parcel is called Les Grands Champs. And we start to do, uh, to this, to do the experimentation. And, it was very funny because uh, the, the, the trainees are uh, very passionate, you know. And uh, Julien, uh, after four days of the vinification, came on, on, on see me. And uh, he was very scared, very afraid about uh, his cuvee. He said, oh, I, I can't recognize there is uh, some uh, very particular smell. Uh, it's, it's awful. What can I do? I said to him... Uh, no problem. Uh, we we can punch down gently the um, uh, the cap. We can uh, put the juice over. Can uh, and uh, the fermentation took place and it was perfect. So uh, the year later, due to the very very nice uh, experience we we've done, I decided to do some uh, more experimentation on Gevray Chambertin Marsanet. But it was, I think, not uh, the right way to uh, accompany the, uh, this, this appellation. So, still an open question for you a little bit. We are, yeah, we, I, I, I don't think it's, for the, for the gamay, it's very particular because we have this very nice uh, acidity. But for the Pinot Noir, if you want to express, if you want to catch the real typicity of the soil, the technique of no surfer is perhaps too uh, too heavy, too, uh, and it's it's not a good way to uh, uh, to to respect the wine. I don't think so. It seems over the years that you've had an evolving relationship to the use of new oak. When I visited recently, most of the barrels were about five years old or a little older. Mm-hmm. But it appears earlier in your career you tended to use more new oak. What are your thoughts on that today? For me, élevage is very important uh, because if you want to uh, to get a very well balanced wine, uh, the wine have to go through different stages, and uh, sometime at some time it must go on the more reductive phases, and sometime it must have some more oxygen, and uh, the cask is one of the elements uh, which have the ability to give the hair to, to the wine. Uh, it's like an exchange. Uh, the wine breathes through the wood, through the cask. 
and this is the effect uh, we reach. But uh, to be honest, I dislike um, the oak taste, and I think that uh, élevage, the traditional élevage, is very important uh, in order to give to the wine his uh, his hair. But uh, if we can avoid the, the 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 oak flavor, it's it's much more better for me. And what about stems? I feel like sometimes you use a differing percentage of of whole cluster. Mm-hmm. We also are in a, can we say in a, in progress uh, on that point. Once again, one of my trainee. Uh, uh, we, I had the idea to uh, to use more uh, old cluster, but it was not very common at Gevrey-Chambertin. Uh, my uh, great grandfather, uh, in the early uh, or late nineties, uh, uh, used um, a destemmer, and it was quite common at Gevrey-Chambertin to use it to destem. But perhaps due to an evolution, due to the global warming, I really feel that uh, the, um, the respect of the grape is very important. And you have very, uh, if you have very, very ripe grapes, you must perhaps counterbalance this effect with an other element. And uh, the respect of the grapes, the stem, can be also very interesting, uh, but it it's not uh, dogmatic for me. It depends only on the aspect of the grape. If we have tiny grapes with very thick skins, I uh, with Andre we have a, a sorting table, and we are taking off this very small berries, this very small cluster, and we put it gently in a basket, and then we put uh, in, in, into the vat, but it depends only on the as- aspect of the of the grapes. And uh, more oftenly now we have very very nice uh, berries. For example, 2012 was a perfect example because we had this. Uh, it was like uh, you know tiny uh, tiny caviar, uh, and it was so so wonderful, so beautiful that we decide to. Uh, keep a larger part of uh, all cluster raisin entier into the vat, at least uh, 50 to uh, 60% of that. And for the Chambertin, even more. And it was so fantastic. But it's it's very different kind of uh, vinification. And there is also another, another fact. Uh, we now use a very gentle destemmer and even if you destem, you can preserve the entire berry into your vat. And it, it's very impressive because when you put the grapes into the vat, we do that, uh, we call it encuvage, it's like a pyramid, pyramid? A pyramid, sure. A pyramid into the vat. So that means that you, you, we, uh, we, uh, we respect the, the grapes. And what about the length of mallow? Do you find that varying from year to year? Oh, it depends mainly in, uh, on the year, on the mid you know. I think, yeah, 
these elements has, have to be seen as background information, you know. If the, the wine for me have his own life, 99% of uh, the wine is uh, due to the respect that you have on your vineyard. After that, you must, it's compulsory and it's obvious that it's very important to uh, select your grapes. But after the vinification is, uh, is, is minimalist, uh, we are just pumping over the juice, we are just sometime at the beginning of the fermentation punching down the cap but very gently. And for the malolactic fermentation, that uh, the same the same way, the same idea. If the wine decides to start his own fermentation, malolactic fermentation, quite early, that's okay. I mean, he decides to start after the first spring. Uh, the ancient call that la pousse du printemps. They, they call that. It was very funny because they they, uh, they do, uh, do not realize. Uh, uh, exactly uh, what was the malolactic fermentation, and uh, now we are uh, we, we can uh, uh, we can observe that, but it it's mainly depend on the on the on the, on the vintage, and we never force the wine to uh, to do his fermentation uh, early or uh, later. You know, do you find yourself using the press wine? Uh, once again, I uh, something is very important. You know, uh, wine is uh, is uh, made of sensation, and you must taste every day. The real birth date of the wine is when is when when you you press the wine, you you divide and you press the wine. This is the first step for me, and uh, this is a very important time. So uh, we taste the wine, uh, and after that, depending on the uh, vintage, we use uh, press or not. But it depends on the tannins, of the structure of the tannins. And if we feel that the tannins are not so good, I decide uh, to, to take only the um, uh, le vin de goutage, le, le vin de goutte. Mm. Your wife brought with her holdings from Alsace. Mm -hmm. You have several Rieslings and also Gewürztraminer and Pinot Gris. Uh -huh. um, You've tasted it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Delicious. <laughs> Especially the Schoenberg I, I, uh -huh. for me. Uh -huh. And then, so how is it to focus so much on uh, an entirely different climate, more on white wine, on semi-aromatic grape varietals with you know virtually no wood, sometimes some wood, but much less? I mean, how is that... For you, was that a, a very different shift of, of mind, or was it, did it come natural? Or? Ah, Alsace, that's a fantastic place. As, as you know, uh, Levi, yes, we have, uh, I'm very, very happy with this uh, vineyard because uh, uh, we spend the whole week uh, in Bourgogne, then we take our car, we drive two hours, two hours half. Uh, north, uh, and we arrive at a place that I call Le Petit Paradis, a little paradise. And for me, Alsace, it's a fantastic place because they have uh, Gewürztraminer, uh, they have different grape variety, but we have also, I, I, I fall in love of Riesling. I'm fond of, we are fond with Andre of, uh, of Riesling. And for me, Alsace is so uh, 
so fantastic because the, the, sorry the geology is, is fantastic uh, en Bourgogne we mostly have uh, clay limestone we have some more marble as I said to you but on Alsace we can find the loess we can find the volcanic the granitic we can also find uh, the clay the limestone um, everything is there on uh, for me the whistling is uh, the perfect translator of this uh, complexity. And uh, when we decide to, uh, to take the responsibility of uh, the, the very tiny domain uh, on Alsace, it was quite difficult to take the decision because uh, you can't be uh, a spare-time vigneron. You must be a uh, full-time vigneron and uh, the very first vintage was uh, 2003 and uh, we decided quite uh, early to be uh, in, in biodynamie for us it was compulsory to do the same way as we do en, en Bourgogne and uh, the problem was how can we be we we don't uh, we, we 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 don't have the uh, the ability to 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 be uh, at both places at the same time. We are not ubiquitous, and uh, uh, we said, okay, we will uh, work very hard to do that. But after two years, we said it's possible to do that. So gradually, we had the opportunity to uh, to grow uh, up the vineyard. And uh, now we have something like 13 hectares. And uh, I'm very proud of that because we have uh, each, each terroir are, are there. And we are on the art of, uh, of the Appalachian at Rigvir, which is a fantastic place. And um, we are very lucky because we have four Grand Cru. We have uh, two Gewurztraminer Grand Cru, one on the Sporen. Uh, which is located at Rigvir, on the other one at uh, Beblenheim, the Sonnenglanz. And these places are perfect for the for the Gewürztraminer. And we own also a very nice uh, Grand Cru, which is called Schlossberg, and I really like the Schlossberg, the granitic soil. And we have also a very nice parcel on the Schönenbourg, which is very close for me to the Chambertin. It's, it's curious because Schönenbourg, for example, is, uh, as you know, Alsace is quite far uh, uh, geographically because it's towards uh, north, but it's very close in terms of geology. I told you that on Chambertin, we find the clay, we find the limestone, and we also have the white model. On the, on the Chandavour, uh, we have the clay, we have the limestone, and we also have a model, but it's a blue model, that's a Kuiper model. And the same kind of soil gives the wine the same idea. Because the Chambertin sometimes is a little bit shy at the beginning, you must uh, lay down the bottle, forget it. And for the Chambertin, exactly the same thing. Uh, that's a very long aging wine. The Chambertin is fantastic for that. At the beginning, sometimes it's quite difficult. You have this very nice bitter, uh, this bitter, uh, which are very good for the, for the structure of the wine. 
But you, uh, a grand Schoenerbourg must be kept a long time if you want to discover what is a, a Schoenerbourg. And the same kind of soil gives us the same idea of the wine. And for me, that's the perfect uh, demonstration of the terroir. And we are very happy to have this, uh, this, uh, this domain on the desk. Speaking of that terroir diversity, I mean, what should I understand about Marcenet? Coming from a, a, a normal Gevray perspective, but also working in Alsace, how is it different in Marcenet? Ah, Marcenet is also a fantastic place because uh, there is at this place, it's quite a brand new appellation, as you know. Uh, my father bought his first parcel in 1980, and uh, five years later, uh, he could produce Marsana Appellation. It's quite quite a young appellation. It's perhaps due to the fact that just at the time of the creation of the appellation in 1935, the vignerons at Marsana they used to sell easily their wine to the restaurant, to the bistro at uh, Dijon. So it was very easy to sell the wine. And uh, moreover, at this time, when uh, you uh, add the, the appellation, you had to pay a tax. So like a good peasant, we dislike to pay a tax. It was uh, uh, counterproductive, can we say that? Or, uh, uh, and uh, they say, oh, we don't need the appellation. We pay a tax and uh, we s everything is uh, sold out after six months and uh, uh, we don't need to uh, this, this appellation. And uh, in the late uh, 60s, they had quite uh, big difficulties to sell the wine and they decide to uh, join the Côte de Nuit village appellation. But uh, even, even, even more, uh, this uh, appellation was, uh, was quite difficult to sell, and the people from uh, Côte de Nuit say, oh, no, we don't want to have Marsanet because that, uh, uh, we'll, say, we'll say that uh, we will have double the surface of the, of the, of the vineyard. And uh, people from Marsanet, they are very, very energetic, very clever, and they now believe hardly in their appellation. And there is some uh, very young uh, vignerons, very dynamic vignerons, who decide to get uh, uh, the appellation, and they uh, they obtain the uh, they had the appellation in 1995 for the first vintage. And after 10 years, they decide to get the premier cru level, and. Uh, uh, they ask some uh, professor of uh, Bourgogne University, Monsieur Garcia et Petit, uh, and they, uh, they, 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 they draw up. Can we say that the the first map of the uh, of the terroir, and it was fantastic because they use some very modern technology. For example, uh, uh, we call that uh, resonance. Uh, it's a sort of vibration to, uh, in order to, do, to have a good localization of the fail. And they also asked to the ancient vigneron, uh, what about your vineyard? You think that uh, you have early uh, blooming or not? Uh, so they've done a, very large uh, work and very large uh, and a very interesting uh, 
uh, work about uh, about the geology, and they present their work to the uh, Yenao Institut d'Appellation d'Origine. And uh, I hope in the, the nearest future as possible, we will have some premier cru at Marsanet. And for me, Marsanet, that's a very interesting place because it, the uh, continuation of Gevray-Chambertin uh, soil, perhaps soil in some place are uh, more deep and we have more uh, red clay limestone soil with more iron that give perhaps to the to the wine more structure wine, uh, more uh, powerful wine, and sometimes some uh, more not harsh tannin, but uh, more uh, more difficult tanning at, at, at the beginning. More of a backbone, uh, exactly. But this is all. Uh, once again, it's very interesting because people at this place are very dynamic and they know perfectly the the characteristic of their soil and they manage very well the vinification which fits with the more uh, finesse wine and i uh, i think that marsanet is, is very very uh, uh, that's a fantastic place and that's that's the next the future of the bourgogne is there with the people uh, who are very proud of their appellation and uh, that's a great joy to see the young generation now uh, who are very engaged and uh, and uh, um, la bourgogne is still continue on the on the right way i think it strikes me that your family both in the past when a visitor told your ancestor about grafting and then in your own generation has been open to ideas from other regions someone tells you about biodynamic or lower sulfur and you experiment what other ideas are percolating in your mind to think about for the future? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. I think we are uh, we are in, in in progress, you know, uh, and uh, we must keep an, on our mind that La Bourgogne need uh, need peace. La Bourgogne need to be uh, needs need respect. Soil needs the respect, and I think in the future we must go further, go uh, in in that way. And perhaps there is some uh, some idea with the soil. There is after some idea with the vinification, uh, and there is also some idea with the élevage and. Uh, uh, but always, we must always keep in our mind the respect. So I think, uh, yeah, it's it's very important to 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 be in in your vineyard, to look carefully your 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 vine, uh, to accompany with a very gentle uh, gentle gentle manner. Can we say that? Yeah. And I think that that is a way. And uh, what we do now with uh, uh, this is a, also for me wine. It's and, and vine. It's a it's a link. Uh, it's a, the first link. It's between the, the soil and the uh, the earth, the ground, and the sky. The vine is there. 
the second link is uh, uh, between the vine and the vigneron. And for me, the third link is between the people who appreciate, who have the passion of the, of the wine, and uh, the amateurs are in this long chain. And uh, I think we, we, we have the responsibility of the, of the vineyard. So we, are, uh, we must look very carefully what we, what we do on the vineyard and what we do on the vinification. We, yes. Jean-Louis Trappé of Trappé, Pair and Fee. His winery is on the main road of Gevray, but his thoughts are in the vine rows. Thank you very much for being here today. Merci beaucoup. Merci, Lévy. I was very pleased to, uh, to be with you and sorry for my very poor English. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Jean-Louis Trappé of Trappé, Pair and Fee. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Lévy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.